0: You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business.
1: Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey everybody, this is Rick Hadrava. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know who I am. I'm the host of The Over 50 Entrepreneur podcast. If you go back to episode nine, uh, one of our earliest earliest shows that we did, you'll know today's guest. Uh, it's John Warlow. You know, he's an author, podcast co- host, and CEO of the Value Builder System. But much more than that, uh, he's become a resource, a friend, and, and just I found that he and his organization, are just really, really valuable in the work that we try to do with our business owner community. And so John, John has a new book out. You know, I, I thought it would be great to bring him to the show. And so without further ado, without a big intro, let's just welcome to the podcast this morning John Warlow. John, thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Rick. It's good to be back.
1: Yes. You know, you, you've done not only the podcast, but you've been on our Freedom Series calls, and we the the feedback each time has been tremendous. And so let's dig right in. And you know, I wanna I wanna talk. I, I thought it'd be a good idea to maybe kick things off this morning with a comment you made on a call we were on recently, where you talked about kind of being criticized uh, by another po- podcast host. I think it was for your book, Built to Sell. And for our audience that maybe doesn't know, you wrote Built to Sell many years ago. Um, but but talk to me about the criticism that you received. And maybe as you've had time to reflect on that criticism outside of the moment, um, any new thoughts that have come to your mind?
0: Yeah, ha- happy to do that. So yeah, i, I this book Built to Sell is uh, why I occasionally get asked to do podcasts. And usually podcasts are pretty pretty friendly affairs, right? They're people like you or like we're friends outside of podcasts. It's usually a pretty casual thing. I remember I get in this one and the guy starts off and he says, Swarlow, right? Yeah. You're the guy who wrote Built to Sell. It's kind of a douchebag thing to do. <laughs> and I thought, oh my lord what am i going to do with this because i've never been called that before i've never even used that term really like i mean it's not something i would say or or feel like is something i feel akin to but here he was putting me on the spot saying that of course his sentiment was that building to sell was this very kind of like money grubbing greedy thing to do And, and that really what we should all be doing is building to last and building multi-generational companies and handing them down to our kids and building a legacy. And I, you know, I I was just on my back foot the whole call and I've had lots of time to think about it since then. And, and I've really come to the conclusion of how vehemently I disagree with that sentiment. And that is that, um, you know, I think we all have a best before date. I think we all do our best work as entrepreneurs, usually when things are really challenging, when there's a premium paid for uh, good ideas and creativity. And then we reach a point, I think most of us reach a point where it becomes rote and our, our soul starts to shrink. And I think that's when uh, it's a unique opportunity to let someone else take over the company. I, you know I wrote about in the book, this guy named Joey Redner, who built... Um, Cigar City. You ever drank uh, a beer from Cigar City Brewing? I don't think I have, no. It's a it's a little craft beer. Well, it's not so little anymore. It was a craft brewery out of Tampa. And he built this thing, little distillery to begin, uh, borrowed 800 grand from his dad because it's a capital intensive business, borrowed a bunch of money from his dad, started to pay that back, but he kind of sold out of all the beer. So he had to build a, a bigger <laughs> facility and had to borrow money from the SBA to do that. And now he's in hock to his dad. He's in hock to the SBA. He, he sells out of the beer. Third guy, third time he has to build more more capacity. Redner kind of throws up his hands and says, "Enough already!" Like I'm I'm in I'm, I'm so far in debt. I've got a so-called profitable business, but I just feel the weight of it. And and he sold to Oscar Blues, the guy the you know craft brewery, and you know put a bunch of money in his jeans, and he's free again. And I think there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong effectively with finding a new owner for your business when your tenure in it has reached its, uh, for whatever reason. I don't think that's selling out. I think it's, in many cases, the best thing for the company. Well,
1: it's interesting because uh, I find that, you know, I've always looked at the concept of built to sell as if you you not only owe it to yourself, because like you said, you know, we all get kind of I don't know, worn out or or need for something different in our lives. Um, but we owe it to our customers that that are, are raging fans. We owe it to our employees and, and I think our family members to be able to identify that. Um, and I wonder, you know, if that, John, maybe is the reason that so many businesses never get themselves to a position to think about selling, um, especially after the business owner has spent their whole life, right? putting their blood, sweat, and tears into an organization. Any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it just becomes so much of a part of our self-worth. You know, so much of of, you know, how we show up in the world, how, you know, the value we are, have to, as, as members of our families, right? The, the, the ego boost you get when people have to listen to you as a, as, as, <laughs> as, as, as your employees do. And of course, society places a tremendous, uh, premium on business ownership. Uh, you know. And so I think in many cases, we get a bit addicted to that, that, uh, that sense of fulfillment that comes with running a company. Even though, in many cases we 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 stop feeling the freedom. so we we are, I think, replace the energy and the excitement and creativity and freedom you feel when you start a company. and you lose that, but you get in its place this sense of obligation and legacy and ego and And the two, I think, replace one another. and, and again, I think the shelf life of of the ego piece, it does have a shelf life in the sense that that a lot of businesses become held back by a founder who uh, is no longer willing to take risks, is no no longer has the same energy they came to their company. and And what we don't realize, and what we have a time, a hard time, I think, reconciling with is this this idea that your company may actually be better off, better off for everybody, better off for customers, better off for employees in someone else's hands, someone, a bigger company that is willing to take risks again. Um, you know, you've seen it in your own work, I'm sure, Rick, where we got, where we have businesses who, you know, when they start, their business is worth virtually like zero uh, as a percentage of their net worth, right? <laughs> they own a home, they, maybe they have 401k, but they it, their business is worthless. They build it up. doesn't have to be a huge business, three or $4 million in revenue. It, it could easily be 80% of their net worth right? And a little something funny happens. I'm sure you've seen it with clients that that, that, that business owners become like a yoke. It, it becomes, they they drag down their business because all of a sudden when it's 80% of your net worth, you can't afford to lose it, right? So that kind of tantalizing new product idea all of a sudden becomes ah, maybe next year, right? Or that hiring that new general manager, that, that new salesperson, ah, you know, that's a lot of money. Again, that's holding your business back, and it's limiting it from your employees' perspective, and it's also limiting it from your customers' perspective. So there is a time where we reach the point where we become, um, I think, a bit of a liability for our companies, as opposed to it's you know our, our the biggest asset.
1: You know, John, I love that because we talk of freedom in two concepts: one of time. Because we know that you know you get like you said you get passionate about what you're doing you've got purpose and you're driving but over time if if you if you don't step back and think about how to operate this thing as the owner we all know we get stuck in in that owner's trap and and so we do a lot of work of trying to free up time right um, to pr- try to prevent burnout um, but also financial freedom and it's funny you know, the the majority of small businesses in the US don't even have a seven figure revenue to them and that's okay that's not necessary if it's congruent with the personal goals and the health of the the organization but what we find is a lot of times that's a litmus test for owners it really if if we focus on those things and have conversations about them it it signals that hey maybe it is a time to think about exiting and and the other thing that it does is, is we like to question like if you weren't doing this what would you be doing right and I know John we've done that work with with the value builder system is it's that next chapter it's, it's a bigger future as I as I like to say and and I think th- I just wonder how many business owners um, out there listening maybe to our, to us talk about it really if they were honest with themselves. Um, have those feelings, but they kind of keep them inside, right? Like nobody can know how I really feel about it.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and 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 we've done a bunch of research on this topic that a lot of owners end up regretting their decision to sell because they're all push and no pull, meaning they're 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 all push. All of the reasons they want to sell are, are frustrations. They're being pushed out of their business. It's it's COVID restrictions. It's employees. It's uh, Red tape, whatever, and they and they say enough is enough. I'm 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 selling, Um, but they fail to do the other side, which is what are you excited to go do? Like, what is the bigger thing that you're really pumped up about? And you know, I you mentioned this podcast. I think I've done 300 episodes now for for Built to Sell Radio, and I can I can say definitively that the the happiest people are not kind of. You're rocking on their chair with a glass of lemonade, counting their money. They are, they've started another company, right? And and they're off to the next thing and and they're not bashful about the fact that they built something, they created some value, they sold it, and they're off to another business. It doesn't mean they have to retire. It means they they're, you know, they're probably better suited to run a company for the first few years when when creativity is at premium and
1: And that's a good point that you bring up. It doesn't mean they have to retire. And i I think you you've mentioned this before, John. One of the key factors in a business owner who has sold being unhappy really is that they have not given thought to what it is they want to do after after that chapter, right? Um, but okay, so you you brought up Covid. Let, let's just let Did I let's, say the C word out loud. No, let, let's let's take that elephant in the room for a second. Sure. you've done some really good research this last few months or last year on business owners and and I, I like to encompass it into 2020, right? We we like to around here, we like to say that twenty twenty really opened our eyes and revealed a lot of things, right? And it's COVID, it's politics, it's the business environment that's come from these things. Share with us some of the statistics, some of the things that you found in the work that you've done recently, um, as we segue kind of into what you're doing right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, you're right. We, we, uh, So we have this thing called Value Builder, the Value Builder System, which you are a partner with. And so when, when people start with us, we have them do a questionnaire. We ask them a bunch of questions about their company. So we've got lots of data to choose from. And we analyze the data, uh, the eight months preceding the announcement of the global pandemic. So think about like the eight months leading up to March of 2020, and then the eight months after March of 2020. So during the pandemic. And we we just analyzed the data between the two and saw what changed. A couple of big things changed. The first of which is that business owners have moved forward their date by which they want to get out by. So by 20%, they've moved forward. So in other words, they want to sell 20% sooner. Now we could all hypothesize as to why that is. I, I don't I think it's pretty obvious, right? You're you you have been kicked around over over 2020 in, in virtually any industry. This has been you know, very difficult for a lot of business owners. And so for those who have gone through the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, this is just the second punch to the gut. And so I think a lot of business owners are saying, you know, enough, I I can't deal with a third, you know, uh, black swan. So for that reason, I think that a lot of people are getting out. The other thing I think is really interesting, it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation, Rick, around legacy. And that is, that the proportion of business owners planning to do a family transition has dropped precipitously. And in favor, there's an increase in the proportion of business owners who want to sell to a third party. Again, we can kind of go back and forth as to why that is. I have my own theory. um, And that is that given the stress that this pandemic has caused a lot of small business owners, they have no interest in, in passing that ball of stress down to their kids, right? They've seen what it's done to them physically, emotionally, mentally, and they don't want that. They want their kid in many cases to go get a job at Procter & Gamble or Ford or whatever, because it's been a tough year for a lot of business owners. So we're seeing, you know, an increase in the proportion of people who want to sell to a third party and and they want to do that sooner than than they would traditionally have, have thought about. So,
1: you know, it, it brings up, a point from a buyer's perspective, I think like in any rough period of time, we've also seen a creation of, of new businesses, yeah. right? New startups. Um, and, and I always wonder like, how does that compare? I mean, it, I know it's sexy, it's Hollywood, right? Startup. And, uh, you know, at least that's how it appears, right? Behind the scenes, there's many hats. You're, you're doing things that, uh, you, you maybe didn't think you'd have to deal with, but, but, with all the businesses that are starting to think about selling, and I think about demographics, and I think about you know, all the needs and not wanting to bring in the family, what's the environment on the buyer side in this? You know, are, are we going to have less buyers? Do you see that and, and a more
0: supply of businesses coming to the market? I think it all comes down to interest rates. It, if we have interest rates as low as they are right now, that basically creates a, an, a legion, an army of private equity groups. Because the way private equity groups work, as you know, Rick, is that they basically, they, they are fueled by debt. So they borrow money, uh, they buy a company, most of the money is borrowed. And they view the view is that they use that basically the profits of the company to pay back the debt and then sell the company on uh, after potentially you know grafting it together with a couple of other businesses. The the increase in the private equity universe is is uh, you know uh, unimaginable. Again, it's it's become almost impossible to lose money with interest rates as cheap as they are. So, provided interest rates stay low, I think we're going to have a very big community of buyers out there looking to buy small companies, Um, which I think is inoculating to some extent the, the natural laws of supply and demand, which would take over Given the baby boomers are retiring at an you know unprecedented rate, so the, you know the, the logical thinking would be okay, we're going to have a ton of businesses on the market because the baby boomers are all all selling, and and therefore the prices are going to go down. Again, that's been muted to some extent. That price um, decrease or that downward pressure on prices, it's been muted by by how low interest rates are and how many private equity groups are buying businesses. Um, and so they've 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 nicely offset. But if that balance gets disturbed, i e interest rates go up a lot. Um, eh, that could that could cause uh, you know the private equity groups to pull back, therefore, you know, an oversupply in the marketplace. But right now I, I we're not seeing that. we're we're actually seeing almost a little bit more the opposite where where valuations are going up a little bit just given the influx of private equity money. Well,
1: and we see that in the RIA space, just to make it relative to kind of some of the businesses we own, and it's really money chasing deals. And so it begs kind of the question, you know, if I'm just an individual interested in buying a business um, and taking it over, you know, I'm going to have to compete with that environment. Really, is this a time, you know, a question that comes to my mind, is this the time to be a buyer? Unless you're private equity, and if you're a seller, John, what recommend or what thoughts do you have on dealing with private equity in this environment?
0: Well, the first and and I go into length of this in the book is that is that you know private equity or companies, in my experience are like sheep. They 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 follow one another. They have the same investment criteria. They all are looking for you know a business with a million bucks in EBITDA that is in a protected niche with an existing management team that's willing to stay. I mean you I, like you could you could pull up fifty different private equity groups website and the investment criteria looks virtually identical. They want you know manufacturing businesses and 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 med tech businesses, but like they're very very similar. And if there's anything that allows a business owner to punch above their weight when selling, it's competitive bids. And so, my first advice uh, would be: if you've got an offer from a private equity group, great. There's probably 50 other private equity groups. If if you've passed the hurdle rate for one, that that there's probably 50 others out there that will want to 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 sell to buy your business. So, don't negotiate with one private equity group make sure you've got multiple bidders at the table. That's going to just give you leverage, right? And the leverage is important because most private equity groups are going to want to want you to roll some equity. So it's an interesting model whereby they usually buy the majority of your company, 60, 70%, but they get you to hold enough so that it hurts, right? So it's like 30%, right? So you get paid, you get some money in your jeans, that's great, but you still got a fair chunk of, of wealth on the table. And they do that intentionally because they want you to stick around for the quote unquote second bite of the apple. The, the challenge though is now you're a minority shareholder in a company you don't fully control. And that can be the worst of both worlds for a lot of entrepreneurs. So number one, get multiple bidders uh, so that you can, you can really drive the deal you want. and and that may be to carry less equity going forward. I'm not a big a big fan of being a minority shareholder in a business I don't control. I, like it's just it's just not it's I, I think it's you know, I just did a podcast yesterday actually, Rick, where a guy um, sold sixty percent of his business. Uh, to one private equity group, sold it for seventeen point five million dollars. So uh, amazing you know result. sold sixty percent kept 40 in a new entity. Private equity group brought in new management, new management failed. Uh, They had a big leverage on the business. They were paying back the debt, couldn't afford to pay back the debt. The new entity went bankrupt and he was left with nothing for his 40%. So you could argue, well, he still got 60% of 17 million, but problem with that way of thinking is that he probably could have gotten a bigger proportion of his deal up front from five other private equity groups. If, if you know, so in retrospect, his big learning was like, I wish I'd just shopped it, you know, and gotten more, more offers on the table. So I don't know how I got out of that done. No. Whatever question you ask. <laughs> it's, uh, it's no, little,
1: it's it's good stuff because what what comes to my mind, and this segues kind of into my next question, but you know, you're you're looking as a seller. So so let's say you you you're in that in that thought process of, you know what, I'm ready to transition to do something else in my life. It's ready, right? I'm ready to pass the baton, and um, whether that's private equity, which what I hear you saying is, hey, that that's your opportunity to get the biggest check you can possibly by bidding these guys up. Don't don't take the first offer. Go out there and and let let these people know that that you're you're thinking about it, versus finding somebody. That maybe takes over the business, maybe a key employee, um, or or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's a third party, but it's an individual, right? and And there's pluses and minuses of that. But the thing that comes to my mind when I hear you say that, John, is you got to know your number. And you've done something interesting recently with the freedom point. And it, I, what I like about it is it's something that I've done for twenty six years. <laughs> and wh- whether it's been with individual investors, who are retiring, you know, we seem to focus on the wrong thing as business owners thinking about selling or investors planning for their retirement. And I think when we start, we start with, with objectives, right? W- what is that objective? And, and it's really around realistic ways to understand the numbers. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to, you know, kind of take the cliche, you know, begin with the end in mind. And it's really, what are we trying to do? look i need a i need a pocket of money that will give me the freedom that i want that i i have the biggest probability of not outliving my money or maybe i have legacy concerns community things i'd like to do whatever the case may be and you know we use withdrawal rates when we when we talk about investing but we also use those when we talk about business owners and we say you know the first question i get asked a lot of times is how do, what's my business worth, right? Like, how do I get a valuation? And while that's, it's a good point. I always try to get them to understand it's a snapshot because the real question is, what do you need, right? What, what, what is it that you're going to need from your business? Because I think you've said this and I've quoted this a thousand times. It's not what the valuation is. It's what somebody's willing to write you a check for um, that really matters. And so, you know, we, we like to use 4% as kind of a baseline for withdrawal so that we can work through the numbers to figure out statistically what they need. And I know, you know, we can go deep on that topic alone because there's so much academia around, you know, is it 5%, is it 4%, should be 3%. And that number can shift even on an annual basis based on maybe market returns, um, if they invest the money, you know, for for other purposes. But talk to me, why did the freedom point become something you started to, to think about and talk about? Um, and why do you think that's so important for a business owner as they're thinking about selling their business?
0: Well, it becomes, yeah, I think a lot of business owners right now are risk on. And it goes back to a conversation we had a, a few minutes ago, which was that for a lot of small businesses right now, their business, uh, if they've been a little successful over the last 20, 30 years, it's become a huge proportion of their net worth. And, and when they talk to you about their 401k, they're like, Rick, I want to be diversified, right? I want a little Microsoft. I want a little Ford. I want a little Tesla. Great. Right, but when it comes to their overall wealth picture, eighty percent of their wealth is tied up in one illiquid asset: their company. And the bigger the company gets, the more successful the company gets, the more they're risk on. And when I talk about risk on, it's like Wall Street, you know, term. I don't want it to sound Wall Street, but basically, it just means if you visualize the 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 blackjack player in Las Vegas at the at the table, when he takes all his chips and throws them on you know on the table for a bet. That's what a business owner does every single day. They walk into their shop or their store or their office uh, without selling it when they're beyond the freedom point because they're effectively risking a, 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 an independent life, a free life, uh, you know, the, the, the aspiration that we all have uh, in return for something that they may not need or want. So when you reach the freedom point, it is the point at which the sale of your company, the after-tax proceeds of the sale of your company will fund reasonably whatever you want to go to do for the rest of your life. So if you take, for example, you want I mean, make up a number, 100 grand a year in, in to do, would make you feel completely liberated and free for the rest of your life, uh, as an example. If you want to use a 4% withdrawal rate, you multiply it by 25. If you want to use a 3%, you multiply it by 33. And that's your nest egg you got to create, right? And then when your after-tax proceeds, after the frictional costs of selling and you paying your broker and all that jazz exceeds that amount of money, Um, you could effectively sell and be free for the rest of your life. And it just begs the question, is it worth it for me to place that bet to continue to own my business when effectively I'm risking what I said in the beginning was my aspiration? For some people, it is worth it because they get intrinsic value. They love what they're doing. They've got a huge vision of becoming a $100 million company one day. But for many others, when we put it to them like that, it's like, oh my gosh, I've never even thought about it. Um, that and and that's when it's like, you know what, it might be worth selling some, all of your company, getting that first rung on the success ladder, Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever it is, like the you know, food and shelter is sort of done forever. Um, that can be very liberating for a lot of people.
1: It ab- absolutely. And you know, it, it's interesting because we talk about business owner timelines, and and the reality is every business owner is on the timeline. Some are new in their journey, some are in the middle of the road, and some are, like we've been talking about, thinking about that next chapter, whatever it may be. And if, if they think about that, the thing I find fascinating is we focus on, on value and, and freedom financially. But the reality is, if they start looking at the risk, like you said, hey, they've figured out their freedom number, right? That point. But then let's go back. Okay, what could trip that up? Right, and for some people, it's a key employee or a key partner. Something happening to them, passing along, passing, pa- passing away. You know, it's one of the reasons that I started eight years ago, really working with business owners. Is I had a situation where a successful business owner just abruptly passed away, and there was no estate plan. There was no liquidity in the business for the family. The family couldn't keep the lifestyle and keep the business going, and they were not in the position of power through that transaction and so they had to make some tough choices but to your point when you kind of recognize what you're doing and, and what it's doing for you and where you are you can start to think about what risks are need to be addressed right as we go through here that's what I love about the work we do because we try to bring that out uh, in in that thing and John it you know we talked about this before, we, we went live today and I talked to you about burnout mm. and really if I had to wrap 2020 uh, and I know we may be into the new year already when this comes out, but we've seen a lot of burnout um, in the business owner uh, environment. And what's interesting is, yeah, you can, you could go, yeah, it's gotta be all these businesses that have closed. It's gotta be these businesses struggling to stay afloat, but I'm even seeing burnout in businesses that are thriving right now. And, um, you know, we talk about harmony of, of mission and, and all this kind of thing. Is that what really, you know, you see these increases in the numbers that you're looking at. Do you think under those numbers, burnout is a, is a key component of it, really?
0: absolutely yeah and, and it goes on a spectrum right so you do have on one end of the spectrum uh, restaurants for example service companies that have been devastated financially by, the, by this and so that that goes without saying but to your point there are other businesses that have pivoted or, or and are thriving or you know they're 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 doing things that that where demand has actually increased um, but they're human beings right and I think if we just look at what covid has done for our all, all of our mental health it has been in many cases devastating and so you know you you uh, in a lot of cases you don't have the same human connection that you have right so as a business owner uh, you're often very plugged into your industry you go to vegas for the big event every year uh you get your pu- tires pumped up a little bit by you know interacting with your employees and that feels good that you're the boss and you're paying some people you know like there's there's a huge social uh, element of being a business owner that has all been ripped away from everybody. And, um, and even if your company is thriving, I think a lot of people are, uh, are just struggling mentally and, and I'm not, look, I'm not a shrink. I don't, I, I can't help. <laughs> I'm not, I I've seen it, but, uh, and I felt it personally, but I, uh, and I don't know how to get over that, but it's, um, I've definitely seen it among a lot of business owners. Yeah. Well listen, you know, this is this
1: has been great and you know, it's a little longer than most but I that's on purpose because we have some great information and you know, you our audience hopefully they they've grabbed your book built to sell. If they haven't, it's one I recommend. I give away all the time. Um you've got the automatic customer, but now you've got this new book called The Art of Selling Your Business. Why why was that important to you, John?
0: And what are you hoping to get out of it? Well, thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I, I do this podcast. I interview hundreds. I've done now three hundred uh, interviews, and and I've seen the best and the worst. I've seen business owners punch well above their weight, sell relatively small companies for enormous multiples of their profit or even their revenue in some cases. And and I've also seen the opposite, uh, you know, businesses that were on paper really valuable, and through a few simple mistakes, the owner ends up um, giving away for you know pennies on the dollar. So I tried to codify these lessons into um, a, a bit of an action plan for owners that are thinking that they'd like to sell. Selling a business generally, there's something called. Have you ever heard of the five to twenty rule? Have we ever talked about that before?
1: I think we have, but I couldn't
0: explain it to you. So why don't you share
1: with our audience?
0: It's, simple. it's just, It simply states that the natural buyer for your company is, is, a, is a business that's generally between five and 20 times your size, right? right? And so if you think about that by definition, you can start to think if I'm a million dollar company, that means it's something like five to 20 million, whatever. By definition, you're going into a David and Goliath battle. Right, and you're not Goliath. <laughs> you're the David, and so you need to figure out how to, you know, counteract the the other side. They've got more money to spend on fancier lawyers. Uh, they've got more leverage in the negotiation just based on their size. And so the idea is that there's a lot of art to selling a company, and that you can punch above your weight if you take a couple of uh, uh, proactive measures. And so, yeah, I, I'm excited about the book. I think it's going to help a lot of people uh, that are uh, that are starting to kind of think about maybe you know maybe it it does make sense for me to uh, to make an exit. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Well, you know, John. Um, we we come to the end of the show, we always like to say, look, if if people want to learn about the book, some of the resources that you guys, the new resources you put out there, obviously they can get the value builder assessment on our website and I'll, I'll close with that. But how, how do people get access to the stuff that, that you've got available today?
0: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, go to you, right? As one of our certified partners, you've got access to everything. So from everything from the masterminds that you do and the webinars that you host, I think it's amazing. I'm proud to be partnered with you. So I think you're an amazing resource. So go to Rick um, if if you want to learn a little bit about the book. Uh, we put together a couple of, uh, of of fun little tools and and resources. So that's the best place to do that is just go to builttosell dot com slash selling and we've got some sort of gifts with uh, with people who order the book early, and um, hopefully that's helpful. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I've ordered a, a
1: number of copies, and we're going to plan to do some some special stuff with our mastermind groups. Oh, great. Um, it's going to be awesome. Com- coming up. So, John, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, as we're going into the new year, as, as a closing thought, anything that you would like to share with our audience?
0: No, it's just a great time, I think, to reflect. I think the pandemic has caused uh, all of us to look inside and ask what's really important to us. And I don't think, I, I'll, I'll go full circle from where we started the conversation. I don't think the there should be any shame in, in, in saying that I've done my turn. I built the company to where I feel comfortable, um, you know, someone else taking the next turn. And uh, I don't think there's any shame in that whatsoever, so.
1: I I agree. As we like to say, let us, we'll give you permission, right? (laughs) Let's have the conversation. And that's really what I love about the work we do is um, we find that sometimes the community is what's important, especially if you're feeling burned out, Um, you know, just know there's people there and they're interested in, in helping Guys, if, if you visit the website, epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast, we'll have the show notes to today's episode and past episodes. Like I said, if you liked my conversation with John, be sure to go back and listen to episode nine. Um, you'll you you'll have some additional information around the Value Builder Program and, and some of the things that we're doing. You can also find a video um, and a link to get your very own value builder assessment on my website. That's epicsbiz.com, epicsbiz.com. Under the services tab, you'll see val- value builder engagement. You can go in there, you'll see the video and again, the link to get your very own value builder assessment. Highly recommend you do it. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we talked about today, if, if you'd like to have a discussion about you know, figuring out your freedom point, or you'd like to learn more about the 13-week mastermind that we do, um, even some one on one. We're happy to take a, a call with you free, no obligation. Um, use us as a resource. You can email me at rick at dot That's rick at epicsbiz.com. We appreciate you listening. John, thanks for joining us today. And until next time, stay safe and remember. We're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored
0: by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our Freedom Formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.